Welcome to Politicking with Jason Whitlock, hosted by Curtis Schoon. Jason Whitlock, good morning. How are you today? Oh, I can't complain. I feel pretty good. Another day, another Tuesday. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, they're, they're looking forward to our disagreement on um, coming to America, but that'll be at yeah, the end I'll... of the show. <laughs> Look, uh, somebody... We'll say the best for last. Yeah, we'll say the best for last. Somebody said it's going to be Ali Frazier. <laughs> so... <laughs> Hey, tell me this before we get rolling or whatever. Well, we rolling. Did you, pay, Go ahead. Yeah, did you pay attention at all to uh, the Meghan Markle Oprah interview? No, I didn't watch it. I read some of it, uh, some of it about her claiming they were concerned about the complexion of the baby and the kid doesn't have a royal title. And, you know, stuff like that, man, I, I just can't. For the life of me, I can't tune into it because I feel like I lose brain cells when I, when, when I, I you know, it's Jason. I don't understand how people could consume that kind of junk food daily, continuously, and it, it helps me understand why a lot of people just don't get it. If that's what their level of interest is, it, it says a lot to me. You know, it, it. I think you're right. I've, I've like never understood this. The all the way back to Princess Diana and people. I've never got it, and it's never had an interest to me. But looking at all the attention that it got, I think yesterday or two days ago, or whenever it aired, sun, yeah, Sunday and Monday, it made me yesterday evening. I probably watched the first forty five minutes of the interview. And and I was like, she's lying. Uh, uh, this whole thing is a farce. It's like a comedy routine. These, she's not black, and I know that her mother is either full black or partially black. But th this girl looks, talks, lives white, and nobody would see her on the street and think that she was black. And then she's sitting up on TV talking about her baby of color. And this baby is whiter than the damn daddy, who's a redhead and pale white. And the, the whole thing just, it's like a farce. And I, you know, it's a circus, I guess. It's that circus of distraction they keep giving us. Uh, but, but my biggest takeaway was just like, this is the epitome of this groupy culture we've established and this celebrity worship culture that we've established that we even care about this shit. Did you know that Prince Harry, I mean, cause I went deep down the rabbit hole or, or as far as I could, or did you know that this dude uh, went to some party and dressed up as a Nazi with a swastika on his arm? He got busted for that in 2005 and I'm like, and this is who this chick married? And and they <laughs> look. I I didn't know that, but I know that they, for the longest over in the UK, it's been rumored, and you know that his biological father is not Charles. So much so that the guy who they say it is has had to come out and deny it several times. You know, and again, this is something you may not know, but my father's first cousin was knighted 
twice in two different orders, Sir Paul Schoon. And I don't care nothing about none of that stuff going on over there. Like, you know, like, you know, like yeah, it, it's like, I, I, I don't get it, but I do understand the protocol. So I'm thinking if the royal family really cared about Harry, they would have gotten him a, a wife that they approve of. The fact that he was allowed to marry Meghan, that seems to indicate to me that it's like whatever with him, like he doesn't really matter to them for one reason or the other. Blue bloods, they keep that blood blue. I, I would agree. To me, when I found out, and again, I didn't know this until yesterday, that he had dressed up as a Nazi, went to some party with a swastika. I was like, oh, well, this is all part of the cover-up. To Like, this dude got some racial issues of his own. He went out and found the whitest black woman he could find on the planet. And now they fit into play like they racial social justice warriors. And it's all just like a cover-up and a scam. Because to me, she's got identity issues. She's lost. Uh, and, and sitting up and like, I started working when I was 13 and, and she didn't know nothing about the royal family and all, all, all this just like, it, it just all seemed fake, scripted, and just, it's a group of people, all of them. And I've always been somewhat of a supporter, fan of Oprah, but watching that shit, just like, these are the elites feeding us bullshit so we don't even look at anything real that's going on in the world. You know, like 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 I said on my Twitter feed yesterday, I find it just startling, ironic, hypocritical that a lot of these women who are for, you know, black woman, black girl magic, I call them yas queens, right? Yas, but everything out there. That they celebrated an ambiguously racial woman like Megan marrying into a family that's perhaps the wealthiest family on the planet from slavery and exploitation of indigenous people. I, yo, these people, you can't take them seriously, man. They're just, they're just all over the place with their nonsense. And, and the fact that they're given a platform to misrepresent serious thinking black people and, and worse yet influence young black minds thinking that this is what they should aspire to be. I find that's dangerous. And yeah, Oprah was at that damn wedding too. She's on my shit list. I don't, I don't, I don't mess with Oprah. <laughs> <laughs> she might be all right with you. She <laughs> had me on her show back in the day, man. Yeah, so. <laughs> you I, know what, Jason? I, I, I'm going to end up making you look good, man, because, man, <laughs> I don't like these people at all, man. And, and it's not because of their success. You know, their, their success it's came at such a price. Their, their success came at such a price that who, who wants it? I, I don't. The things that they've done, you know, uh, I was looking at um, to follow up on our, our last conversation where we discussed uh, Dr. Seuss being racist. I didn't even realize that it was the New York Times writer and, and published author Charles Blow who found like six Dr. Seuss books with racial nonsense. And, it, and the only reason I know it is because he's followed up 
with discovering that a cartoon character, Pepe Le Pew, uh, promoted ra rape culture. I'm just like, yo, <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. What's Why? he doing with his time? I mean, literally, he's <laughs> research. I, I, you know, I don't know, man. Look, 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 Jason. Why is it that every black person of prominence on the liberal side of um, media, sports, and entertainment politics? Why is it that their full-time job? is to find racism, even in Dr. Seuss books and Tom and Jerry cartoons that no one looks at anymore. And I'm not saying that those things didn't exist, but these kids don't even know who Dr. Seuss is. It's over. Next, let's, what the hell is going on with this? Why, why? Are, 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 they, are they not trusted to speak on you know, more meaningful subjects? What's your thoughts on that? Well, I think that their job is to promote the idea that Black people, we're not free and we're not in control of our own destiny. And the evidence of that is found in uh, Dr. Seuss books, uh, white women in Central Park who call the police, because you're harassing their dog. Uh, and so any negative interaction with white people is proof that you're not free in this country. And there's a group of, you know, the Democratic Party, in my view, wants black people to think of themselves as slaves and to think of themselves as not free and not in control of their own destiny and that they, white people, are in control of their destiny. And so as long as you are a dog that comes and scratches on their door when you're hungry, scratches on your door when you want to go outside and piss a shit, uh, they're quite happy with you as black people. If you just happen to be a black person that says, no, nah, I'm going to do for self and I'm going to take care of mine, then you're, and if you promote that mentality of like, hey man, rather than running around begging the white man to take care of us, we should take care of ourselves. Once you say that, you're branded a conservative and you're branded an enemy of black people. And I mean, these, it's almost comical to me when I see the, the black leftists act like they would have supported Malcolm X. Because if Malcolm X were alive today and any of that shit he was talking, th these people would destroy him. And so, and hell, they, they would destroy Dr. King as well because literally, that, you know, Dr. King during the civil rights movement, and I'm saying after the 64, 65, maybe he pivoted to other issues. But all of that that he did throughout the 50s and early 60s was all about so that the black man could stand up and be a black man and take care of himself and his family. That's what the whole thing was about. And uh, Democrats, Joe Biden, all of them just don't want us to take care of ourselves. They don't, you know, we're, we're incapable of that. 
And they've convinced a lot of black people that we're incapable of that. And until these white people do right by us, nothing good can happen to us. <laughs> you know, I think you hit that um, on the hit the nail on the head because someone had tweeted yesterday that uh, black people shouldn't have to work a job, right? <laughs> and of course, in his bio, it was um, the first two words of his bio was black queer. <laughs> so there's a consistency here with the people who are willing to get out here and propagate this type of nonsense, right? But the remarkable thing is, it speaks to what you said. If you read the responses, um, there were so many people that agreed with them. Somebody said we shouldn't have to pay taxes either. Somebody else said, uh, we shouldn't have to work jobs for 300 years, right? And uh, yo, I'm reading this, right? And I'm looking at the people who are saying it, and they're all kind of, they're millennials. They're, they're young, they're like under 30 years old. And I'm saying to myself, I hope this is just online and not out in the world at large. Well, millennials, if you know, and like all, I can't, you know, they live in their phones. I mean, constantly in their phones. So I actually do think it does represent a mindset. And and they can't see that this social engineering is is transferring the black mindset and black people to uh, a life of peasantry and uh, dependence on the government and and those white liberals and their kids will be the people responsible for taking care of them, the peasants. And because trust me, the white liberals will tell black people one thing and do something completely different with their own kids. And again, it's just, I think there was some president of a teacher's union out in California or whatever that's been out, you know, no, don't reopen schools, don't reopen schools, it's not safe. And then they caught him on tape taking his own two or three-year-old child to a private school that was in session. And so uh, to me, that, that's my whole problem with Black people in public positions, the elites that I see is like, is this what you're telling your kids? Is this really what the shit you saying on TV? Is that what you say at home? Because I know for a fact it ain't what the white liberals say at home. That they're not feeding their kids a bunch of excuses and telling them they can't make it and that this whole system's rigged against them. They tell them their kids to go out there and go get it, and they ain't accepting no excuses. Uh, and so, if that's the advice you give your kids, why wouldn't you give it to ours? But you know, they, they our skin color means that. You know, we we should be taken care of, and we should be dependent upon the government, and we don't have uh, control of our own life and agency. And you know, it's just something I, I just completely reject. My father completely rejected it. My mother rejected it. Uh, I, I just it's sad, but I do think it is reflective. What you're seeing is reflective of this millennial class. They have been through the school system and through social media and through the role models, these, the LeBron Jameses of the world have convinced them 
that America owes them a great debt. And until that's paid, you don't have to do a damn thing. And it's like, just think about JFK being this liberal icon. And the guy said in his inauguration speech, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for, for, for your country. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's, it's a complete pivot from that. This guy was, he's an icon of liberals and the His whole mindset and message is the complete opposite of where we're at 60 years later. And no one finds that fascinating. Other than me, I guess. I don't know. Look, man, um, I think some of the black, quote unquote, elite, they um, they actually buy into the stuff they preach. And only because uh, they're like ideological whores, man. They will do anything to get that title. They don't get invited to the cookout, but they will. They want that invite to the dinner party. You know, and um, uh, or that job, that salary. It, it's amazing because you, you know, I, I do the room in Clubhouse every Sunday, eight to ten o'clock, and a smart, a smart black woman. Um, she she comes in the room. Her name is Char. She's accomplished. At least that's her name online. I don't know what her real name is, but she's a very, very accomplished black woman, and you could tell by the way she speaks. And she brought something up that um, there's a, a, a black woman COO of Starbucks. Her name is Rosalind Brewer. She graduated from Spelman a long time ago. She's like two years older than me. She was born in 62. So she'll be 59 this year if she's not already 59. She was formerly the CEO of Sam's Club and she's soon to be the CEO of Walgreens. She sits on the board for Spellman and she has gotten the millions of dollars in endowment money. But guess what the money is for? It is for queer and gender studies. And as Charles said, how, how will this help the kids function in the world? How will it get them to compete? So to what you said, our kids and those millennials, they are being misdirected by successful black people who they look up to and, and who they emulate. Now, I, I don't know what Miss Brewer's situation is. She's married and has a husband. I don't, I don't know about her kids. I don't know anything. Maybe this is some an issue that is you know, close to her heart for whatever reason. But why is it so much money is available for queer and gender studies and not things that are going to make our kids competitive in this world? Uh, Well, obviously, uh, you know, there's a lot of money being spent on LGBT issues, and if you, I, we may have discussed this, or I certainly, when uh, I watched the movie Judas and the Black Messiah and started doing a bunch of reading up on the Black Panther Party, uh, the relationship between Black left revolutionaries 
and the LGBT community goes all the way back to the 1960s and to the Black Panther Party. H Huey beyond, Newton, but go ahead. I think beyond yeah. that. Well, probably, but Huey Newton gave speeches talking about. I, I read one where he gave a speech talking about uh, the LGBT movement was our ally, and that we had to move beyond uh, anything that the church has taught us as it relates to the sexual lifestyle and realize that uh, the LGBT community is our ally. And so, again, and, and to me, th this, I don't, you think it goes back farther than that. I'm a little, well, I mean, I, obviously Bayard Rustin was involved with Dr. King and his movement or, or, and, and the civil rights movement and all that, and I understand that. But I think that that church-based movement uh, would have had a little more resistance in this very secular movement we have now, and in, in this Marxist movement that we have now. If you like, understand the Black Panther Party, uh, Marxist movement, atheist, not faith-based, secular, hostile to God, and and so I just this has been what what we're seeing, what we're living through today has been at least a 60-year plan put into effect. And there are smart people or some conspiratorial people or whatever was like, the, 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 the civil rights and the rights for Blacks was really more about where we're at today. <laughs> the only way to get to uh, this full embrace, and not just embrace, but promotion of the LGBT community was to first give Blacks their rights and then to piggyback off that into where we are today. Uh, and, and I say that hopefully not coming off hostile to the LGBT community, but just like them, they have a right to fight for their rights. I feel like as a heterosexual black man with some Christian values, I have a right to fight for my rights as well. And when I start seeing things that in, infringe on my rights or my standing in this country, I have a right to push back. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, I, I'm, I'm, concerned about the standing of black heterosexual men and women in this country, but particularly black men that are heterosexual and have any type of religious values. I, I think, and I know white guys will disagree with this, but I think we are actually catching the most hell on this planet. Uh, we have no one, no one, is fighting for us. I'm, they're pretending to Black Lives Matters, which is a Marxist organization started by three lesbian women. And so you can be a fool if you want to and think three lesbian uh, Marxists are fighting for Black heterosexual men. You can think that if you want. They're talking about disrupting the nuclear family, but they're not. Nobody 
is fighting for black heterosexual Christian men, and it 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 bothers me, uh, and it bothers me without me being, you know, hostile to other groups that want to fight for their rights. But I just think somebody needs to be fighting for ours because we are at the bottom of the food chain right now. Yeah, we 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 got to fight for our for our rights. We got to speak up. You know, it's funny you mentioned um, Huey Newton. He was definitely an advocate for gay rights. Going back to 1970, I think I saw a speech with him. Mm -hmm. But what a lot of people don't know is that, and they can Google this, they can they can search it. Just put in Huey Newton and Hollywood producer Bert Schneider. And according to the article I read uh, in Salon, Huey Newton was involved in a, a homosexual relationship with Bert Schneider. Now, was it based on love or finances? I suspect it was more about money because Schneider was a, a rich Hollywood type. The same type you see hanging around all the uh, the woke isms today. You know, a lot of them are just really, let's just say they're sexually fluid, right? Mm. And um, there was love letters where Huey wrote to Schneider that he was going to see Schneider when he got out of prison before he saw his own wife. Schneider is also the producer who took Huey to Cuba on his yacht. So wherever you find black radicalism, there's always these sort of wealthy, liberal, sexually deviant types around. And then I don't know if they're, they're around because they're trying to um, indoctrinate us with their ideology, or if they're just looking for an easy score with, with sex or something. And, and speaking of which, Angela Davis herself is a, a self-professed lesbian to this day. And she's a, a Black Panther icon from way back then. And th those things, and just like you said, I don't have any problems with anyone's sexuality. What I have a problem with is that you promote your causes and package it as if Boom. my issues. That's, that's the only problem I have with any of it. I think Black Lives Matter should have been Black gay lives matter because that's really what they were about. But they, it seems like there's this ongoing effort to convince us that our issues are, are identical to their own. And I don't believe that. Or that we face the same challenges. I don't believe that. Some may overlap here and there, but not enough for us to be interchangeable. No way. And, and, and then it goes beyond that, that with the the endowment monies and things like that. I think they're almost trying to encourage our young people to explore that lifestyle. And and I don't I don't I don't understand the motivations for any of it. Well, you know, as I've talked about the 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 attack on masculinity in this country and so mm -hmm. You know, we've reduced it down to a black issue, but it's really an American issue in terms of 
I think the agenda is to destabilize America and to emasculate America so that when China finally decides to come over here and take what's theirs, uh, we're in no position and in no mindset to defend ourselves. If There's studies and news reports out that the Chinese government is focusing uh, building masculinity in Chinese boys, that's a high priority for that country. And it's being embraced by their government. Uh, and again, I, I'll just go back and reduce this back to black boys and men. This is, if you go look at any educational study, black girls are running laps around black boys. But you can, right now, you can, if you are out promoting some kind of charitable movement or ch for black girls, you're golden. We're going we're gonna to send all the money we can, and that's a high priority. But it, I don't see the focus on black boys who are actually doing far worse than black girls. There's no focus. It's Again, it's like no one cares. Black men are weak, uneducated and dependent uh, on black women, everybody's good with that. And th that's, <laughs> it. when we finally get to coming to America, some of it connects to that in terms of, to me, why coming to America too is being criticized. Uh, it, part of it is because that movie, part of its message, and there was some pro-feminist message but there was also the message of, now you can't, you can't raise this prince into a man without Eddie Murphy and the king involved. And and the part of that message to that movie was like, this boy was thirty one, uh, selling tickets, scalping tickets out in front of Madison Square Garden and living off his mama until Eddie and the king got involved and brought him over into a nuclear family. And then all of a sudden you saw the best in the boy come out. It's it's so there's a lot of reasons why that movie is getting shit on. Uh, cause it did not it, it had some of the pro it had some of the message people support, but it had a big message uh that people just aren't gonna support. And so it's being criticized. And I thought, anyway, I I'm, I may have taken spun us off into it. Yeah, I'll, I'll a save it all turn five. Yeah. <laughs> I'm done. That's not, I don't. Uh, what else were we going to talk about? Did we did we talk about Soul of the Nation yet? No, we have not yeah. touched on Soul of the Nation at all. But the before we go there, because this will segue right into it, the role of celebrities in getting the word out. I saw um, Obama and Bruce Springsteen have a podcast. We got competition, Jason. You know what I mean? Like, look. Andrew wow, Gillum has a podcast. The boss and the boss. Yo, look. Andrew Gillum has a podcast. Michelle Obama has a podcast. As a matter of fact, on her podcast, she's going to interview Dwayne Wade's, I don't want to offend anybody, his his child. There you go. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't want to well, offend anybody. She's gonna his child is 12 years old. And this is what the former first lady is gonna be doing with her podcast. 
everybody, to me, every high-profile black person on the left is deeply involved in what can be called nothing less than the social engineering of the black community, in my opinion, because everyone looks up to them, right? And if they're saying that something is the way to go, a lot of people are gonna follow suit. They're gonna trust them. I saw even um, Governor Cuomo in New York, he had uh, DMC, the rapper, make a rap PSA for people to take the, the vaccine. You know who that, that rap song was directed to. And it, you know, and I, I, I know DMC, I, I know him, but I, I'm just, uh, any message that's meant for us, it's gonna come through them. And I don't trust the people providing the message. So I'm damn sure not gonna trust the messenger. And just for, for the record, I would never encourage anybody not to take the vaccine, nor would I encourage them to take it because I just don't know enough about medicine and science to be giving out that kind of advice. And I wish those celebrities would take that position as well. They, they certainly should. I, I'll say this about Michelle Obama and interviewing Dwayne Wade's uh, child. child. Uh, that, and I said this last week, that there are many celebrities and influencers who have been convinced quite appropriately that, again, the suicide rate for kids with alternative sexual lifestyles or feelings is very high. And uh, as pro-masculinity as I am, there are young people that just come out of the womb and they're just men that just aren't very masculine. And maybe there's, there's and there are women that come out of the womb just not very feminine, and uh, they haven't fit in. I, I, I remember because I've given this a lot of thought because I've given my I'm trying to understand my own position and make sure that I'm being fair. I, I remember a kid, and I, I'm gonna call his name because he's passed away. Because I actually uh, looked it up. I think last week when I was thinking about this issue, I was thinking about what, what was life like for because. I was a popular athlete, captain of the football team. We won a state championship, nationally ranked, you know, got a football scholarship. Life was awesome for me in high school. And then I thought about, what about, we had this black kid named Leander Small. And I was like, I wonder what his life was like. Because very feminine. Uh, and I don't remember teasing him, but I, I remember... Uh, people at the school teasing him. And, and so I think there are well-intentioned people that want to make kids like Leander Smalls have a good junior high, high school, grade school experience, a good childhood where they can feel normal and not ostracized from the rest of the community. So I get it. 
And, you know, I'm not, I think that may be where Michelle Obama is coming from. I'm not sure as a parent, if I would be comfortable with my child being put out there on front street and trying to be the face of it. But I guess somebody's got to do it. And that's what Dwayne Wade and Gabrielle Union have, have, have signed up for. Uh, so I, I just, I just want to say that, that I, I, I you know, I don't want to come off as a bigoted Neanderthal. And I, I'm not saying that you are, or, or we are at all, but I, I do, I, I do think there's some good intentions, uh, Perhaps, and again, the road to hell is paved with good intentions now. I mean, so just because you got good intentions doesn't mean it's the absolute right thing to do. But I do see where they're coming from. I I, I think you know, Jason. I'm, oh man, I, I'm I'm gonna make I, I'm gonna make you look like such a good guy. Black people are gonna turn me into the villain now. <laughs> I, I, I just think she's trying to get at the very at the very least good ratings. I, I don't think a 12-year-old should be thrust into that spotlight to deal with that and carry that that burden that you just described. I just don't. I, 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 and that's just, that's just me, man. You know, um, I also believe a lot of people show these inclinations from young. I was thinking the other day when I was growing up in Queens on my, on my block, there was a guy whose name I won't say. You know, we were all small. Young, uh, and I'm talking about under 10. And it turns out as he got older, he was gay, right? And and when I thought back to it, the signs were always there. But because I didn't know what gay was, I never made that connection. I just thought he sometimes he acted like a girl. Uh, you know, that that was it. He did patty cake. We didn't discriminate against him. We played dodgeball with him and everything else. I didn't even know what gay was. I, I really didn't. And, and in hindsight, when I at was what age? Him, come on, you you sound a little bit like Meghan Markle saying no, she didn't know I'm, nothing I'm about the, the royal family. Listen, man, I'm telling you the truth. I was under ten and I didn't know what gay was. Oh, because just I mean back because I'm 53 school. The F word. FAG was tossed around all the time when we were kids. That, that was as common as virtually any word in the dictionary. Yes, you, you are correct. And I knew what that was because that was a man who wore women clothes, might have the wig on and stuff like that. If it didn't come in that package, I didn't see that. And I definitely didn't see that in somebody who was my age. When those words were used, they were for people that were older than us, that were, uh, you know, demonstrating and exhibiting their sexuality. This kid wore jeans and shirts and everything just like, I didn't, yo, I didn't even, I didn't even know, man. I, I had no idea. He did play patty cake with the girls and stuff like that, but I didn't. Going to, I, I'm, I'm just going, for me, growing up in Indianapolis, there was a hostility for kids of my age set. There was a hostility towards feminine guys. And and uh, I can understand why people want to tamp down that hostility. 
and and uh, I, absolutely i'm just telling you that i wasn't aware i'm talking about at the age when i hung out on the block man we were young we were really young and nobody cared about those things i i, I didn't there was as a matter of fact there was one guy on our block and his name was keith and he liked to be called keisha but he was at least 10 years older than us so I didn't see my peer in the same category as him, if you understand that. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. But anyway, now this soul of a nation, right? Um, yeah. The ABC. Yeah, the series. ABC series. It'll be back on tonight. It's oh, yeah. Tuesday. I, I, saw, yeah. I saw episode one. Yep. And just full disclosure, anytime I see John Legend or Common, I just... I can't really receive anything that they're saying or doing. Because I, I see them as shills, man. I see them as just out there promoting a message to stay relevant and keep getting checks, keep getting cameos, so on and so forth. And I don't, I don't believe they believe the things that they're saying. I, I just don't, man. You know, maybe John Legend do, but I remember Common when he was rapping. His song I used to know about hip hop. And then when he had the, his diss record, the Ice Cube was one of the best of all time. The bitch in you, oh man. And when I see Common now, I'm like, yo, what happened to you, man? Like, this is how I feel. But again, in, in, in this show, the first thing that jumped out to me was the, the Capitol Police officer who said that um, he, well, he's 6'7", he's a big guy. And he said when the, the people were storming the Capitol, he was called the N-word at least two dozen times. And he made, he made it a point to say that he saw a Blue Lives Matter flag and one of the protesters pulled out their badge and showed it to him. What I saw that was, was a, an attempt to vilify police, white police. And I wonder what is the objective of that? Why? First of all, I, I think there's some real theatrical embellishments going on for the camera. But I, I'm not going to call the man a liar because I wasn't there. But two dozen times, I, I don't, I don't know, man. What, what's your take on this, Jason? Uh, I didn't believe nothing that came out of the cop's mouth. <laughs> uh, whether he's a liar or not, I don't know. But I didn't believe him. And you know, his logic was ridiculous in turn because his the. The overall point of that 10 minute segment, this is how they started the show. Again, this is soul of a nation. And somehow your starting point, this is supposed to be about the black experience in America. It's a six part series and it's hosted by Sterling Brown, an actor and John Legend and Common or, or whatever. And it, it's supposed to be about the black experience. How do you start with the chaos or the riots or whatever you want to call them at the Capitol, that was a group of white people 
let's put the number at 2,000 that went into the Capitol building or stormed the Capitol building, as the media likes to say, that any hyperbolic word they can use, they try. Let's say two, 3,000 of them went in. I, I would tend to think 2,900 of them, 98.9% .9 of them were white. How is this the black experience? Go to the Congress people that were there at the Capitol. I would suggest 90 to 95% of them white. How is this the black experience? Now, maybe the Capitol Police, let's say there were 200 of them. Maybe 100 of them were black. It's D.C., it's a black city. Maybe 150 of them was black. I don't know. I, based on what I can see, I'm going to speculate half of them was black. So of the people there, if there's 4,000 people in the building, I'm speculating that 150 of them was black. This is the black experience. This is the starting point for this series. The, the, what happened at the Capitol was some kind of statement about black people. That's some phony bullshit that LeBron and other social media influencers started. They tried to turn that thing into some sort of statement about race. It was not some sort of statement about race. And this cop, because again, they know that they're still struggling to sell this as some kind of race war event at the Capitol. And so they get a cop to come on and say, well, I was called the N-word. Oh, well, someone said, yeah, 20, someone said the N-word inside the Capitol during this. It's a race event. Because, and, and again, the way he told that story, I don't know, nor do I really care. I, we've sat and watched Black Lives Matters protesters, black and white, in the face of black police officers all of 2020, shouting all kinds of profanities, getting called in where if this cop is acting like this is the first time a black or a white person has called him the n-word 24 times uh get the fuck out of here he lives in dc you live in dc Th that ain't no word that a cop doesn't hear regularly in dc a lot of it come oh but when a black perpetrator says it and says f u n-word it's a term of endearment or when he says, uh, nigga, I'm going to come do something to you and your fan. Oh, that's a term of endearment. It's not a threat. And so I thought just starting there was a joke. Uh, him trying to describe how, oh, my God, I, uh, they accosted me and called me. Six, seven. Six, seven, you know. Six, punk. seven. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then... His bottom line conclusion was the most illogical shit I've ever heard. And the damn reporter that was doing the story needs to be slapped for not saying, hey, man, you got to explain this to me. So he says that, uh, well, the people that came into the Capitol, they called themselves patriots. So I can't call myself a patriot. And, <laughs> and I'm like, what? And he's guarding the Capitol. I'm like, because a group of idiots called themselves a patriot, you can't call yourself a patriot. 
and and so to me, the overall point of the whole soul of the nation is a message. That would to me, they started with that segment and they concluded with this patriotism stuff because the overall point they wanted to hit home with this entire series is black people, you shouldn't be patriotic. Trump supporters call themselves patriotic. You shouldn't be patriotic. You have no reason to love this country. And why are they trying to push this point? Why is this series that ABC's pushing out happen to be time at the same time as the George Floyd trial is getting Ooh. underway? Why is that? Because they know that there's a high probability that Derek Chauvin, the cop in Minneapolis, is going to walk. You think because so? high probability. Man, the dude was hyped up on Fed. No, that's not that's not me saying he should or shouldn't. I don't know. I'm gonna wait for the facts. Everybody else is calling uh, Chauvin a murderer or whatever. I, I don't know. I want to hear the facts. But yeah, I think there's a good chance. Look, man, they had the cops on Rodney King on tape beating the hell out of him, and they walked. You think Derek Chauvin can't walk when this dude's hyped up? He got a lethal amount of fentanyl in his system. It can happen, for school. Look, and it can. And to me, eight minutes on his neck. That's look, tough. I'm not. To I'm not justifying it. I'm just saying he can walk. I'm just I, the I, guy. As a as a juror, how do you how do you how are you okay with that? I'm not saying you're okay with it, but because here's what here's what they're gonna say. If you talk to anybody in law enforcement, what the okay. defense is going to argue is that knee on his neck. That's standard training to be a, a Minneapolis police officer. They're going to show it to you that, and again, this is what law enforcement people have told me is going to be the defense argument, wow. that the Minneapolis police are trained. That's a technique that they are trained to use, and he did nothing wrong. That's going to be the argument in court, and they're going to show you the actual training, and the jurors are going to say, well, shit, he just did what he was trained to do. And this guy's hyped up on fentanyl. And the coroner's report and all what by the time that's argued, it, it's going to I, I just think I'm not calling for the guy to be to get off. Mm -hmm. I'm just telling you what I think is potentially gonna happen and why this ABC series is going on that's gonna be just stirring these emotions. The, the end game to all of the Black Lives Matters, this whole thing. It's chaos. It's about the destabilization of America. This has been bought and paid for. The, the, the paid agitators, the, the whole capital insurrection narrative, all of it is like a bomb that's being built inside of America that they want to explode uh, in April or May if, when, that jury comes back with a not guilty verdict. They're going to have America all stirred up into this hyper state. If the guy walks, you're going to see massive civil unrest and violence all across this country. And Is I'm going to be Biden pointing. president? <laughs> they don't care about Biden being president. <laughs> and because it ain't never, it's never been about who the president is. It's always been about how can we promote the destabilization of America? America has come unglued 
once in its existence. It's 400 years or, or 1776 is what is that, 300 years of existence or 260? I, I can't do the math. I'm, I'm an English major. Uh, <laughs> but the Civil War over race almost destroyed this country. The 50s and 60s, the Civil Rights Movement had this country at the brink of failure. They always, race is the issue that brings this country to the brink of explosion, the melting pot. Our greatest strength is turned into our greatest weakness. And I think our enemies, our adversaries, the, the people and the, the people around the world who want China, our competitors, everybody goes after who's the king of the mountain. And they've been coming for America for a long time. And they figured out, they've spurred this racial Molotov cocktail to the point through Black Lives Matters and all this other stuff. But yeah, I think the I think the George Floyd verdict could be the match that sets off the dynamite across the country. And I'll blame these idiots at ABC and all these social media influencers and celebrities that have uh, taken some aberrations, some isolated incidents with the police. Do I think Derek Chauvin was wrong and should have got off that man's neck? Absolutely. But it's an isolated incident that I don't, there's zero proof that Derek Chauvin was driven by race. Again, because, because we worship white people so much, we assume stupidity can never be their motivation. That incompetence could never be their motivation. White people have descended straight from God and everything that they do is with clear intentions and they make no mistakes. They, they couldn't, Derek Chauvin couldn't just be an idiot who lost his cool and got distracted, got in over his head and did some of the dumbest, most irresponsible shit in the world and should probably go to jail for manslaughter. That couldn't be the case. It had to be racism. It had to be part of this systemic plot to kill black men 12 times at a year in an unjustified manner, and therefore it's genocide. Jason, you know, I, I refer yeah. to what you just described as collective narcissism. No matter what is going on, there are people, there are elements in our community that find a way to inject us into the situation. It could be between the Israelis and the Palestinians. It can be between the border patrol and the Latinos trying to cut, the Mexicans trying to come across, or El Salvadorians or whoever. It can be between LGBT and their very real issues that they deal with. We are just waiting in the wings to attach ourselves to anyone's struggle to make it our own. And then in the process, we almost fight harder than them for their causes. But when I'm looking at us, I'm like, yo, who's coming to our rescue? Who's, who's proclaiming I stand with these people? But back to that, that, that Capitol Police officer. I, I, you know, the story just seems a little made for TV. But I will say this. 
it's troubling to me to, to have someone who's hired to, to guard the seat of power in this country not consider themselves a patriot. That just doesn't sit, it doesn't sit well with me. If that is your job, anybody who's performing that job should absolutely feel patriotic. Because if they don't, man, can I trust you to, to stop a threat from coming in? You might get out the way. Because you'd be like, man, are these people, I'm not with them. You understand what I'm saying? And, and I just I, want you hold for one second. Just think about the logic he expressed. It, well, it was none. It's Trump supporters said, "Yeah," and, and that to me would be like if a Trump supporter said, "Man, Meghan Markle's fine as hell." Well, I'm not gonna say she's fine as hell. She's Trump supporters say she's fine, so I, I can't. Uh, if, if Trump supporters had all come out and said, you know, I, I, I like. Uh, Commodore's music. Well, now I hate the Commodore. Oh, I, I you know, I just, it, this whole dichotomy that we have set up for black people that what all of our emotions and positions should be based on whatever is the opposite of a Trump supporter. That, that's a dog on a leash. You know how easy you are to control if that's all they got to do? That's existed before Trump. The, the very def definition of blackness for a lot of these people is to be in opposition of a certain segment of white society because there's, a, there's an, another segment of white society that they want acceptance from. So they are always in opposition to, it's called the conservatives, but really, it's it's just a everyday poor white people, not poor, but average white Americans. For these sort of black people, those whites are the enemy. And the whites that's behind them with all the money, those are our friends. So in their mind, they're siding with power. Trump supporters should come out and announce that if they really were as racist as, as they're supposed to be, they should come out and announce that they're pro-water, that they like drinking 64 to 100 ounces of water a day and watch Black people, <laughs> I'll never drink water again. <laughs> look, look, but, but I, I really believe, though, Jason, that um, the white elite, they fear their own white masses more than anything. And, and, and Blacks help keep that divide and conquer thing going, which enables the few to rule the many. So while, while Blacks are yelling, finding racism under every rock and behind every, every tree, it forces the average white person to defend themselves from being called a racist or walk on eggshells not to be deemed a racist instead of focusing on who they need to be focusing on and which is what, and I'm not saying I support what happened, but I think that's what they attempted to do on January 6th. They went in there not looking for Negroes. They were looking for Mike Pence, Nancy Pelosi, and others. Uh, and, and, and again, being the, um, you know, 
being the narcissist that we can be at times, we somehow had to make that about us. They didn't go looking for that black cop. I think one of those guys went and took a dump on Nancy Pelosi's desk, like dropped his pen. I mean, the, the, the way I feel, I feel like these white folks, they got their own issues among themselves. And I'm just going to sit this one out, bro. I got nothing to do with me. You know, like, and, and there's some black people that insist on being a part of it. I don't yes. know if they feel like that's how they're going to get their book deals or coveted jobs at, at, at the New York Times like Charles Blow or get to do their documentaries or even get their podcast like uh, Michelle Obama and Andrew Gillum. I don't know. There's some kind of financial incentive that has these people attempting to take us on this path that has nothing to do with us. These people are going to work it out, man. They, they've been doing this every couple of generations forever. I'm not sure if they're going to work it out, but... Yeah, they will. E even if one side got to get vanquished, they'll work it out, man. <laughs> they, they always do. <laughs> so look, <laughs> they uh, always do. Look. I'm not 100% sure they're going to work it out, but I do think you're right in terms of, you know, we're just, we're being used, we're useful idiots in a game that has... Conscript. Very little to do with us. Conscript. Uh, and it, it, it just it just frustrates me because, and look, I'll probably get in trouble for saying this, but yeah, let's say it. Yeah, I, I, I don't. In my view, those people that went to the Capitol, I respected so much more than black people. Something goes on with the cops, we don't like. We burn down our own neighborhoods and buildings, shoot up each other in disputes, blah, blah, blah. Never go to police headquarters or city hall and raise hell there. So it's like we have a problem with some white cop and we just destroy our own shit. White people have a problem with white people. They go confront the white people they have a problem with. Sorry, Thanks. I respect it. I, I, re I respect it. Facts. And they, they weren't looking it just for Emmanuel Cleaver, friend of mine <laughs> uh, from Kansas City that's been in you know politics for, for years. They weren't looking for uh, Maxine Waters. Again, it's just like you said. They went looking for Pelosi, Mitch McConnell, uh, them people, my them people, Lindsay and went Graham. to go confront Lindsey Graham. Went to go confront them. Didn't take no weapons with them, took no weapons, just wanted to go get in their face and let them know. And uh, we've allowed the media to turn this in to some shit that it wasn't. It wasn't an insurrection. Uh, it wasn't some life-altering, scary event. Everybody that got killed or died and, and was a Trump supporter. They murdered some unarmed white woman, a shot her cop. in the neck. A black, black cop did that. For, for virtually no reason. And everybody's acting like, oh, it's good, it's justified, blah, blah, blah. The cop that they pretended that a cop got beat with a fire extinguisher, that's been blown up. The dude died of a stroke the next day or uh, 
it, it, it's all been a lie and a farce, and we we have been the number one sellers of this lie and farce that this was some sort of insurrection. And we keep, I, literally, I keep hearing black people talk about it. I just heard a friend of mine back in Kansas City, he done made a rap song about it. And, How old and, is he, Huh? How old is he's he? He's a friend of mine. He's got, he got to be 50 now. Slop, uh, tell me the next time yeah, you see him. I'm not going to call his name because, I, you know, I like the dude. and but, but he made a song about it, going after Josh Holly and the cow. And it's like, y'all really think these people were sitting around thinking about us when they... Man, but anyway, look, I, well, I, the soul of the nation. If I, anyway, you go ahead, it's, it's look, your podcast. What? Well, what I wanted to say is that what what advice would you give to white conservatives that they don't feed into this nonsense uh, perpetuated by a small niche group of black people who definitely don't re represent the bulk of us? I don't know if I have because I don't know if I could give them any advice because, again, it's like Miranda writes for them right now. Anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. And so anything they say or do can be spun into, again, a bunch of white folks on camera went and confronted a bunch of white folks and it got turned into a race incident. So it almost doesn't matter what they do. White people could be like, hey man, we're gonna throw a picnic for black people. And and they'll say, picnic? How, how, you use the word Nick. What you really <laughs> meant was nigga, and therefore you racist. I mean, they can turn anything. You know the picnic yeah. is a dog whistle. Uh, Y'all gonna have watermelon at this picnic? You gonna have fried chicken at this picnic? They could do anything that they do can be turned into, and, and again, that's how how controlled, obsessed we've become with white people. They that live rent free in our head, bro. It's it's unbelievable. Yeah, it we get up every day looking for sign. Oh, what did a white person do to me to ruin my day? You know how hard it is for me to be black, and it's all. Y'all call it cosplay or, or whatever. And that's, again, all the way back to the Meghan Markle. That, that's what I saw. I was like, here this woman is. Nobody in their right mind would think this woman's Black based on sight, based on who she married, based on how she, she talked. they told me she was Black. B based on anything. Nobody would think. But here she was sitting in front of Oprah with Oprah helping sell this bullshit. Oh, oh she's the worst, man. I was treated so poorly by the royal family. They weren't going to give my son a title. And someone had concerns or conversations about how dark he would be. And, and, and it was all bullshit. Because again, she literally said they had concerns or conversations. And then the media took it as, oh, my God, they didn't want the kid to be black. Well, that ain't what she said. She didn't even hear it. Her husband did. She's talking to Oprah one-on-one. -on -one. I was like. Bring Harry out here and let him tell me what was said because I did having dated some white women He's in my family, having dated white women, my family gives cracks jokes, gives me hell about it. And again, it's it's not coming from some malicious uh 
point of view. It's just what family does. And so if some, as pale as this, as Harry is, if somebody in his family is like, man, how dark is your kid going to be? Look how white you are. And look how white this black woman is you married. So they could have just been joking. But this, you know. I, I, I will say there's one, one yeah. segment of that show that I found interesting. I was surprised. Uh, I was surprised. And that was the segment about Evanston, Illinois. Oh, reparation. Yeah. Uh, when they said reparation, I was like, here we go. Yeah. Now, what they were talking about was compensation for people who suffered economic loss from redlining, which which lowered their property values in their areas unjustly. And you know what? I based on what I saw there and what I've read, I that doesn't seem like a far-fetched thing to me. I'm okay with that. They wanted to give them $25,000, but they had to buy the house in that area, which makes sense because that keeps the tax base there to support the community that, that rectified the thing. So I, I thought that was okay. I, I didn't think that was a bad, um, a bad idea at all. That was the highlight of the show. I'm going to have to do some more reading up on redlining. The only time I've ever heard about or read about redlining in a way that I understood it was Ta-Nehisi Coates wrote about it in The Case for Reparations. And The Case for Reparations was a powerful piece of literature produced by Ta-Nehisi Coates. But I still don't have a full understanding of redlining. And, and I hear a lot of people just throw out the term redlining and 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 I really want to stop them and say, all right, tell me what it is. Tell me how it impacted it. Tell me, tell, you know. And so I want to fully understand it uh, and fully understand the scope of it. How many people did it affect? How many, you know? And and so b before I'm, but you're right. That was the most interesting part of Soul of a Nation. Uh, you know, the rest of it between the cop, between the commercial, the 10 minute commercial they ran for John Legend. Uh, and then I, I don't know if you saw the, the, the little kitchen interview scene. It, it, it was worse or as bad as the cop because they four panelists sitting around. And one of the, the, the main question was, when did you know you were black? And if I had been sitting on TV, and my fa my father who's dead right now, but if he saw me on TV answering a question about when I knew I was black, he would slap the shit out of me. He would. <laughs> as soon as you opened your eyes and saw me and your mama, you knew you was black. Uh, and but these people sat around and answered the question, and and a woman and a man back to back answered the question, saying, "When I was in eighth grade." A white boy asked me to go to a dance, and his mama wouldn't let me go. Wouldn't let him go. That's when she knew she was. But it wasn't until eighth grade that that this black woman knew she was black. If her mama and daddy, they should put her over her leg, and 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 then the the host of the show, the actor, the black actor, he followed. Same thing happened to me. When I, I asked the girl Becky to go to a dance and her parents wouldn't let, 
That's when I knew I was black. I, I just, again, we as black people, we've, our whole life is centered around our interaction with white people. I don't know these not people. Not my life. <laughs> I don't know. And, and, and I'm saying, not mine, and I've dated white women, uh, Curtis. I don't, I don't got no problem with white people, but they're not the focus and center of my life. My interactions with, don't define my happiness. If one of them's rude to me, it don't make no difference. It, it ain't no difference if you was rude to me or, or you know, it, actually I would care because we friends, but, but engagement with random white people, I, I, you, I just, I've never seen anything like it. And so that was embarrassing me. This was a group of adults on national TV making fools of themselves. And I'm not sure how many other people recognized what fools they were making out of themselves. Yeah, um, so now let's get around to coming to America. You ready for this? Yeah. You've been I, in the I, gym, I, you ready? See, Steve Kim said this is Ali versus <laughs> Frazier, right? But look, man, I, I, I just got to tell you, I, yeah. did not, I, I did not find it funny. I thought, and, and I didn't, it wasn't even that I was looking for anything deep in it because I don't think there was anything deep in the first one. I just thought it was really good writing good acting, what I saw, and I'm looking at it from a purely, because I make films, I'm, I'm looking at the creative, the creativity of it. What I saw was a lot of cameos, right? A yes. lot of musical performances. Yes. I didn't know if I was looking at Porgy and Bess or, or, or Black Panther. I, I, I had no idea. I, I didn't know what was yes. going on at times, right? And um, I felt like a lot of it was forced forced by an entertainment industry that tries to capitalize on its roster and put everybody, give them all work. Because there's such limited opportunity for Black talent that when you have one Black show... So now you got a problem with Black people getting jobs. Go no, ahead, continue. I, no, 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 no. <laughs> I don't have no problem with it. I, 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 have, a, I have a problem with, a, with an industry that only thinks that Black talent can work when it's a Black program. So they got to dump them all in there for that one time. Like, I got you a job, see? I got you a little part here in uh, Coming to America 2 with Eddie Murphy. I, I, I just think, I think sometimes it fits and sometimes it doesn't. There are shows where there's a lot of talent, but I saw Salt and Pepper, Matumbo, blah, blah. It was just on and on. At the end, they had my, my least favorite guy, John Lennon, I mean, uh, John Legend, singing during the credits. I was... When I saw that, Jason, I was like, if I knew this dude was involved, I would have never watched this damn show. That's how much I don't like him. You understand what I'm saying? Like, I, I just, to me, it wasn't funny. And um, I just saw big business doing what big business does. It just forced a lot of black people together. And they counted on that being enough for us to support. Because again, if we don't support it, Man, we, we don't like black people. We don't like ourselves. Or like you just said, you don't like black people getting jobs, see? You know what I mean? <laughs> like, look, and, th and that's how we think. No, nah, I, I just want to see some quality product. Can, can I get that? No, Curtis, I was so taken aback because uh, I read a bunch of stuff beforehand, and people were taking a dump on this movie. And so I, but I was like, let me go into it with my own thoughts. 
and watch it. And and I'm just sorry. I smiled and laughed the whole time. And I, I've been like, I don't understand the criticism. And it's coming from all directions. White people are taking a dump on it. Black people are taking a dump on it. Conservative people are taking a dump on it. Liberal people are taking a dump on it. So I went and watched it a second time just to check my own sanity. I was like, I smiled and laughed again. And this is all within 24 hours. I had watched it twice. And then you came out and took a dump on it. And I was like, damn, my man Curtis is taking And so that made, I went and watched Coming to America 1, the original, to say, let me see if, and once I watched 1 again, and, and I watched it, I think, Sunday, I was like, it's even better. 2 is even better. Because the things, the, the things I didn't like about two actually got answered for me in one. Cause I was like, when they started out, cause Kurt, when they started out with the little daughters, uh, beating up Eddie in a little fight, I didn't like it. I was like, damn, they come and woke right out the gate. Same they come with, the they coming out with the feminist stuff right out the gate. I didn't like it. But by the time Wesley Snipes comes in and they do the little like, Hip hop, frat dancing, musical stuff. The smile just starts coming on my face, and because I love music, man, and uh, the little spoof of Salt and Pepper, Gladys Knight changing Midnight Train to Georgia, the Midnight Train to Zamunda, uh, in vogue, uh, changing one of their songs to something about the King. All of that stuff just put a smile on my face. And then the, the, the little assistant to the old king singing a song with that high-pitched voice, all of it was funny. And then when I went back and watched Coming to America 1, it's actually true to Coming to America 1. They had a big musical scene early in that, in Africa, where the guy sung a song, the same dude, sung a high-pitched song, so much of this stuff stayed true to the first one. They just had, yes, did they tap into Morgan Freeman and Gladys Knight and all these people to do it all? But that just made it better, and I don't blame them people. It's like coming to America is a classic. If I can be a part of the remake and lend my hand to, to the remake 30 years later, of course Matumbo and Gladys Knight and Morgan Freeman and anybody else would want to do a cameo in it. And the, I'm just sorry, the, the cameos were funny. The, the, the funeral for the old king was hilarious. I'm just sorry, it was hilarious. And obviously the barbershop scenes, hilarious. I agree. Uh, agree. And, and I'm just sorry. I'm gonna, the way you hate John Legend, is the way I hate Leslie Jones, the, the comedian. Yes. Can't stand it. Have never seen her be funny a day in my life. I just don't hold grudges. The woman was incredible in this movie. She was hilarious. I loved it. I came away from I got a whole different point of view on Leslie Jones. You telling me you didn't laugh when, when they did the throwback scene of how she got pregnant 
and she's talking about she's gonna put this pumpkin pie on him and put that candle between her legs and was <laughs> that didn't make you laugh. I, I like the part when she said I used to be a hoe. I laughed at yes. that. Yes, yeah, I did laugh. At that. She, yeah. she had the candle between her legs. I was like, <laughs> so there was Leslie Jones was in when when she's in the bathtub and and the the royal bather rises up and says the your royal private parts are are clean and she said. One more time. That wasn't funny to you? No. That was a throwback to the original. It wasn't executed the same, man. Uh, I, I, I love the original. The original, I can watch over and over. Great stuff. As a matter of fact... And the original, let me tell you one other thing about the original. It had a pro-feminist message. It was about Eddie finding a woman who had career goals and could stand on her own two feet. And so when that was made... 30 years ago or whatever, that was a very progressive message. And so they come back 30 years later and the message is even more progressive. So I had a problem. The things I had a problem with, I was like, well, based on the first movie, this is right where they should be. I, I think I, I think that in the first movie, Eddie was supposed to find a woman with ambition because he was going to be the king. And the queen. That's not what he think less than that. I don't think that's I don't think that's necessary. Go rewatch the movie. That's not the message of the movie. They okay. the the general Izzy, Wesley Snipes' daddy, had a daughter for him to marry who was just like Wesley Snipes' daughter. They, they had the scene in the original. I like whatever you like, whatever music you like. She, the, it was the exact same as in one, as in two. He was supposed to marry a girl who has spent her whole life preparing to please him. It was the exact same in one and two. You got to go rewatch it. I, 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 I might and the father, me. James Earl Jones, was mad that Eddie wouldn't marry the girl that they had picked out for him. And it was Eddie's mama, just like the mama in this one, that was like, no, let this boy do whatever the hell he wants to do. And it was about the king in the first one changed at the end of the movie. He changed the rules of the country so that Eddie could marry this girl he fell in love with. And so here's Eddie. Well, he's going to let his daughter be the queen. Again, is it a message about the matriarchy and undermining the patriarchy? Yes. Is Based on where we are globally, that message is appropriate. I believe in the patriarchy. I, I'm an old school Neanderthal idiot as it relates to that. I, but I'm not, it doesn't stop me from finding stuff funny that's funny. And basically after I watched one, I was like, I understood why they're preaching this message. It's consistent with the first one. And then, as I said earlier in this podcast, the movie has a pro-family, pro-daddy message. It, uh, it just are you going to let me talk now? Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm, I'm very passionate about this. I, just, I, I see. I see. Yeah. Okay. A couple things. Um, for me, the heavy reliance on, on, on cameos was an indicator that the producers, they were doubling down to make sure that the movie was well received. I'm not speaking to the effectiveness of those, of those cameos. But when you know you got a really good, a good product, 
and you got star power like Eddie, you you don't really need all of that unless you're unsure of your content. Um, when I when I look at film, believe it or not, I don't sit down with a predisposition of I know I'm not gonna like this. I had read no bad reviews when I watched that film. I didn't even read your review. I didn't know. I didn't know how you felt or how anybody else felt. But 10 minutes into it, I was like, yo, man, this ain't it. And I fell asleep on it. I tried to watch it a second time. I fell asleep the second time. I had to watch it a third time to finish it up. For whatever reason, it just wasn't funny to me. Uh, classic, Which Way Is Up With Richard Pryor. I've watched that movie at least 20 times. Oh, I, I, I love when Black people do, do good work and I support it. But I will not support it just because you're Black. If you're Black, I'm rooting for you, but you got to deliver, though. You got to deliver. I'm not going to... I'm not going to lower the standards simply because you're black and, and, and set this this low bar. Eddie's movie where he did Dolomite that was on Netflix. I thought that was great. I enjoyed that film. I did. And that was just like last year or two years ago because I thought Eddie was done and washed up prior to watching that. I, I But when I watched it, I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, he, he did it. He did his thing. Let me say that one of the things I think you're missing, I underestimate. Dolomite was comedic, but it wasn't a comedy. So part of the reason why I love this movie is because it had old school comedy in it. And old school comedy is not allowed. All of these people have been spayed and neutered. And I watch Dave Chappelle not crack the jokes he wants to crack. I watch none of all these movies have such an over-the-top woke and oh, let's don't offend anybody. They've actually reduced comedy down to now the only comedy that's safe and people is visual. You know, what young people are into is TikTok and visual comedy, not actual comedy. And so Eddie, to me, showed a great deal of balls. When you in that barber shop scene and the old barber is saying, I had a grandson, but now he's a granddaughter, and, you know, they can change a penis into a vagina now. That's science. That's a high-risk joke in this environment. Shit landed with me. It was funny. Yeah, but it's uh, relevant. It's relevant to the time. Relevant. Yeah. And when when the when he said that uh uh man you can't do white man can't do that to a black man, can't hit a black man, would have set off a ride of looting. And he said, I was hoping for a looting because you know, I need a uh I need a new flat screen TV. That was him calling bullshit on Black Lives Matter and the rioting and looting. That was high risk, courageous comedy. And that's there's a bunch of stuff that the the message about the necessariness of a father and family to raise a son and kids, all of that in this day and age is high risk. And yeah, did he put some woke stuff in there to cover his bases? 
And that's why, again, both sides don't like it. People that are coming in with some kind of hardcore political agenda, they don't. And there were parts of the movie, I'm telling you, that I didn't like. Again, when they started out with the little girls, but again, when I watched one, I was like, oh, I get it. Why they did it? Because they had a scene in there where Arsenio and Eddie were fighting with those things. Uh, and so it, it, it all made sense. This dude allowed a lot of talented people to participate in a remake of a classic movie. And it worked. It, it, if you went into it, just, to me, if you went into it with the right attitude, you had no choice but to smile and laugh. Now look, if some people don't like music as much as me, I get it why the, you know, the, the Wesley Snipes scenes and the scene like, but again, if you go back to one early in the movie, within the first 20 minutes of the movie, there's like a three minute scene of, of that kind of dancing and music in it at the beginning of the movie. So they stayed true to what they did in the first one. There was maybe just a little bit more of it because again, when you're making Coming to America one, you can't get every any star you want to come on and do a cameo. But when you're making two and you're Eddie Murphy, you can get anybody you want. Uh, hey, go call Salt and Pepper and In Vogue and Gladys Knight and see if they want to do this. See if Morgan Freeman will do this for me and blah, 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 blah. And so I'm happy, man. Black people working together to make something that to me never heard the N-word, didn't rely on profanity, had a pro-black father message, a pro-black family message. I just think to have a problem with this movie, I just think you you got to bend over backwards in my view. It's going, man, Jason, you're going to get you some black fans today. <laughs> you, I'm just keeping it real. You you really going hard, boy. You 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 about to run for office? What's going on, man? Something going on. First, here of, first of all, I'm I'm not gonna get them black fans because I mean black people are shitting on this movie because we love <laughs> profanity. We love the the first one had a nudity. The African girls had their titties out in the first one. They didn't this time. And so, again, part of the reason we don't like it is because this thing was PG-13. It was for the family. And, again, if the way these young people are moving, they're anti-family. All these values that I'm talking about, uh, again, because he put a, just think of a school, he put, he, what he did was so brilliant and so courageous in my view. Go look at Leslie Jones and Tracy Morgan and The Sun. Look at the family they built. Mama was a whole 31-year-old boy that ain't never had a job mm -hmm. other than scalping tickets and an uncle that's running around, I raised this boy, I did blah, 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 blah. And the subtle message of it was like, no, y'all ain't done shit. This boy is a hot mess. He's 31 with no direction. He's scalping tickets. He gets into a job interview that he's he's underqualified for and wants, but Eddie and his family turn him into a king or a prince, and it, it, it I just don't maybe it went over your head, but I'm just Eddie to me showed no. some real balls. 
I, 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 I didn't like it. I still don't like it. And uh, I think that- I bet you when this is over and you ask Asia if she likes it after hearing my explanation, I bet you she agrees with me and says, I think Jason won that debate. Oh, 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 oh it's down goes Frazier, huh? Are you all in? We're going to judge the scorecards. Ask Asia. I bet you she says I won the debate. Oh man, shoot. Well, anyway, on, on that note, Jason, man, we 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 did a double one, man, and uh, it's a pleasure. I look forward to it every week, bro. All right. All right. Take Thank care. You, Share, subscribe, and like our YouTube channel to get alerts for new episodes. And stay tuned for schoontv.com. The media site is coming.